Hi, it's Melissa Moore, and welcome to Mile High Magazine. Thanks for being here on this Sunday morning. Uh, the Morris Animal Foundation, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't, but Dr. Kelly Deal is the Senior Director of Science and Communications, and we're going to find out more about it this morning. Good morning, Dr. Kelly. Good morning. Thanks a bunch for having me on, Melissa. Well, thank you for being here. For folks maybe who are not aware about the Morris Animal Foundation and what you do, can you explain that? Sure. Um, Morris Animal Foundation has been around since 1948, so a long time. We're starting our 73rd year right now, and we've always been based here in Denver. And the foundation was started by Dr. Mark Morris Sr., who was a veterinarian who was very interested in funding research that would benefit animals. And he started the foundation using royalties that he received from Hill's prescription diets. So I think a lot of listeners probably have seen Science Diet. Absolutely, yeah. Right, and he was uh, the first person to create a prescription diet to treat disease. And um, very wisely, he set aside money from the sale of every can of food for several years, and that started our endowment which is how we fund our administrative costs, and he got the foundation up and running. Well, give me, I mean, that's an incredible story. Give me some examples of some of the things that the Morris Animal Foundation has funded over the years. Sure. I think one that will be familiar to a lot of listeners is parvovirus vaccine. And as many of you know, if you're my age, back in the late 1970s, this terrible disease hit dogs, where uh, which caused a lot of death, a lot of illness. Nobody knew, you know, where this disease came from, what it uh, was, you know, what was the cause. And Morris Animal Foundation jumped on board to kind of, it was all hands on deck, right, mm-hmm. um, and to provide funding for a group at Cornell, which um, first identified that this, this terrible disease was caused by a virus, canine parvovirus, and then worked on right developing a vaccine as well as diagnostic tests. So we provided funding to this um, the Baker Institute again at Cornell, who did all this incredible work that resulted in the canine parvovirus vaccine, which I think everybody gets for their dog, right? And probably saved millions of lives. That um, is incredible so- when you think about the tie between that vaccine that we all know and we've seen when we go to the vet with our pets and the Morris Animal Foundation. Exactly. And it's one that's real obvious to folks. We also had a hand in funding some of the early research that led to the feline leukemia virus vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those are two of our older accomplishments. But I would say just about every time you go to the vet veterinarian with your dog or cat or horse, um, there's we've had a hand in something. We funded a lot of early work on diagnostic tests that are now kind of standard of care. We've done work on um, uh, diagnostic tests, for example, hip dysplasia, which we funded in the 90s, mm-hmm. which have now, you know, entered the mainstream. And so we're really proud, again, to have been part of a lot of advances that some of us take for granted. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. What are some of the current ones that you're working on? Can you share any of that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, We're working on a couple different things. One is, that's timely to everyone listening, is a disease called feline infectious peritonitis, 
which is not a super common disease, but a very serious disease of cats. But it's caused by a coronavirus. And if you're putting two and two together mm-hmm. and you're like, I know about coronaviruses, um, the great thing about some of our uh, FIP work is our researchers were actually tapped to participate in um, the vaccine development that we're all seeing come to fruition because there were these veterinarians who were experts in coronavirus. And, in fact, a couple of our researchers that we're funding right now were asked to kind of jump over to the human side for a little bit to add their expertise to the vaccine development. Now they're going to hop back to uh, looking at feline infectious peritonitis, and we're hoping that there's some uh, comparative aspects, right, that what we learned about making the coronavirus vaccine for people will now go back to animals. That's one. We're also funding a study in the United Kingdom that's looking for a vaccine for to try to develop one for heartworm disease. And I think all of us know heartworm. Yep. It affects dogs, can affect cats. And um, there's some evidence, unfortunately, that heartworms may be coming resistant Ugh. to some of the treatments we have, which are really good, right? The right. preventive. Sure. But these, these guys are going to aim for maybe making a vaccine, which will be hopefully cost effective for people, right? And then not an easier because it's much easier sometimes to give a vaccine once a year or Mm -hmm. um, then give medication every month. Right. Because, I mean, I think all of us as pet owners can say sometimes you forget. So, yeah, to have a vaccine like that would be incredible. Right. And it is a holy grail for, I think, um, heartworm disease. And we're very, very excited to be able to partner with the American Heartworm Society on that one. That foundation actually came to us and said, can you help us find a researcher? And and that's something else that we do periodically is not just raise money and get grants and fund them, right? Sometimes we work with other organizations because we have such a great track record of reviewing grants, getting the best science, that they'll come to us and say, hey, we have some money. Can you help us Mm -hmm. uh, locate a, a great research project? I love that. And I love the fact that, you know, as folks are listening to this right now, it's like, oh, heartworms and parvo. And I mean, just hearing coronavirus. And I'm guessing that your researchers had been working on it before 2020. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Which is why it was so great. They were primed to help because they're like, hey, over here, we've been Mm -hmm. working on coronaviruses for a long time. And the feline infectious peritonitis virus is in a different subclass of coronavirus, but the same general structure. So everybody has seen millions of pictures of coronavirus, little spikes. And we've been working for a long time looking at the biology of coronavirus. So it was great to be able to to jump in with the human stuff. Yeah, that really is impressive. Well, I know a year ago, we, you and I got together and we were talking about, you know, it was the Australian wildfires going on, kind yeah. of taking everybody back there because I think this 2020 has been a bit of a blur. What transpired from that after we talked? Right. Yeah. Um, I know it's kind of crazy. We've come full circle with the wildfires, but I think everybody remembers that 2019-2020 bushfire, as mm-hmm. they call it, in Australia season was really bad. We've yep. all seen pictures. I mean, millions and millions of animals uh, affected. And we um, put aside money and solicited grants to help with the wildfires. Well, right in the middle of us reviewing all those grants, um, you know, once we got the word out, uh, of course, um, 
California, Colorado, yep. uh, lots of places, right, had wildfires this summer. And um, we just, the, the Australian researchers are just getting started now. Knock on wood, um, their fire season doesn't seem so bad so far. But right. um, uh, it's, it's, they're now underway. We've approved uh, several studies. And we're hoping, I mean, obviously, they're going to be very focused on Australian wildlife, but we're hoping that some of what we learn from these, um, many which are focused on treatment and um, triage, mm-hmm. right, of, of animals that are affected by fire, like where do we have to pay most attention, and um, we'll have applicability, we hope, to other wildfires. That wasn't quite our intention to begin with, right? We were like, oh, this is going to be great. We'll learn about Australia, and it'll help. But I think it really made it acute for us this summer that, well, great, at least we got some wildfire studies underway Mm -hmm. that will be able to apply. A few, as I mentioned, are really specific to, uh, like one is very specific to some koala issues, but again, we're hoping that what we learn will have broad applicability to wildfires really anywhere. Well, and I think after the year that we've had, we need that kind of research. Yeah, unfortunately, um, we do, right? Uh, and that's um, disappointing, but it is the way it is. And mm-hmm. we are hoping, again, what we learn. And so those guys are off and running now. They've got their money. We did the review, and they're starting their projects. That is incredible. I love it. Like I said, I love hearing how all these different events and things that are going on in our world come back and tie in here locally to the Morris Animal Foundation. I know a lot of the 501c3s that I've talked to, especially this year, have said this year our need is still the same, but it's been a hard year getting the donations in. What have you guys found? Because you have an end of, year, uh, end of the year campaign coming up, correct? We do. We have, um, right now, like a lot of organizations, this is our largest fundraising season, right? Um, we started November 1st with our end of year campaign. It'll end December 31st. We have a lovely $200,000 match thanks to our board of trustees. And you're right. It has been, um, a tough year. Uh, animal need doesn't change. In fact, sometimes it becomes even more important at times of, um, in times of crisis. Right. And uh, so I realize that it's hard for so many people, and there's a lot of uncertainty and anxiety, but we still need anything that people can donate to us uh, is really helpful. And as I mentioned earlier, because of our really wonderful endowment, almost all of the money that people give us goes to funding studies because we try to do as much of our administrative costs from drawing on our endowment. And tell me a little bit, speaking of, you know, this end of the year campaign that you have going on, uh, any special matches going on? Yes, we have the $200,000 from our board of trustees, uh, one for one match, which is excellent and is running right now. So we're very excited and really appreciate them stepping up to help us out in this time as well. And it just kind of lets folks know that your money goes even further right now when you get it matched. Uh, what is, for folks that do want to make a donation, what is the website or how do they go about doing that? Sure. If you go to www.morrisanimalfoundation.org, uh, you can find, we have a donation page right there in the front, but you can also learn from the website all of the work we're doing. We have 
blogs about all different kinds of animal health concerns. We have all of our current and active studies you can find actually on our uh, website. So you could look at what we're doing and we have our newsletter. So there's a bunch of information for people that they can learn more about us and also what's active right now. Well, I know one of the things that I learned from going to the Morris Animal Foundation website and from talking to you all over the years was about the Golden Retriever Study. And the last time we talked, am I remembering right that 60% of Golden Retrievers will develop cancer? Yes, yes. And um, that's why we chose them for this particular study. This study is a little unusual for us because, as I mentioned, we typically get grant applications and then give money to people to do research outside of our building. But the Golden Retriever Lifetime Study is actually something we're managing from in internally. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge project. As you mentioned, we've enrolled 3,044 Golden Retrievers to follow them through their lifetime. And it is a cancer risk factor study mm-hmm. at its heart. We are looking at these dogs to um, determine, you know, is there anything that we can look at that would suggest it's a risk factor for cancer development in this breed that is prone to developing cancer? And we are, we started enrolling in 2012. We finished in March of 2015. Um, The average age of our dogs now is about eight. They had to be under two years of age at the time of enrollment. Um, and unfortunately, we're seeing an uptick, big uptick in dogs in the study diagnosed with cancer. That just breaks my heart because golden retrievers, and I had one that passed away from cancer at nine years old this past year. And it breaks my heart because it's such, I mean, there's such just big fluffs of love and everybody loves a golden retriever and you see so many here in Colorado and then you hear the statistics and it's heartbreaking. And and I think so many pet owners, they want answers like what's going on. Right, exactly. And um, unfortunately, uh, everything that makes goldens great um, is why we we chose them. Well, the information you're going to gain is going to be amazing. And that is just one of the many projects that the Morris Animal Foundation has going on. Dr. Kelly Deal with the Morris Animal Foundation, thank you for being here. And for folks that want to get more information about your organization and who want to make a donation, let's give that website one more time. Sure. It's www.morrisanimalfoundation.org. And again, Melissa, thanks so much for having us on. We really appreciate the opportunity to tell everyone about our great organization. I'm Melissa Moore. It is Mile High Magazine. Thanks for joining me today. For more information on this organization or any of the others we've talked to over the weeks, just go to your radio station website. You can always share this podcast on social media. Go out, have a great day and be kind.